Hello, folks. Welcome back to another podcast. We've got Mr. Ken Ambrose in studio. Uh, we had a great conversation uh, in regards to just about all the topics that we find dear, uh, upset recovery to aircraft management. He's got a varied background in uh, both the corporate world and the uh, economic world, if we can say that. Made some money and uh, flew airplanes on the side and then turned it into a career as well. Um, DO of a major flight department here on the West Coast and uh, currently has uh, AmbroseCorporation.com as his go-to website for both aircraft management. And I'm going to say three-tiered aircraft management, a um, little bit different than your average bear as it relates to helping you through maybe a purchase or uh, acquisition and uh, training and such. Uh, had a great time talking to him. I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, welcome, Mr. Ken Ambrose. Welcome, Mr. Ambrose. How are you, sir? Good morning, Mr. <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. Uh, I know it's a little uh, it's it's a little disheartening at first, but uh, not disheartening. Uh, it's just I, I think most people that I admire are pretty reluctant to talk about themselves, yes, or which is what I love about them. Vocalize their opinions <laughs> for others to hear. Yes, yes. Anyway. Well, the podcast where we got the the me monsters, as we call them, they don't make the air. They end up in the round file. Good. So yeah. don't worry about that. I'm hoping to end up there. See, that's a safer place. I totally understand. I totally understand. The uh, the folks that listening probably want to know who you are. You want to give us a, a two-second encapsulation of uh, what makes up Mr. Ken Ambrose? Yeah, if, I, if, I, if you had some dead air here, that would probably cover it. <laughs> uh, yesterday, uh, or day before, my first sim session with Mike, I'd, who I had not flown with before, he said, so Ken, tell me about yourself. Which is really hard. Oh, so we should have taped that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, uh, <laughs> it still ended up. Uh, well, let me get. Let he, me hit he, the high topics. He, he feigned interest. All right. Yeah. I appreciate that. I won't feign interest. I'll tell you if it's bullshit or not. Well, I, I was. Uh, you just used a cuss word. I did. Yeah. Um, we have an explicit rating on iTunes because Noel's got some problems. <laughs> I like to talk about myself in the third person, which is really annoying, but we're going to do it anyways. Um, I, I was born and grew up in Oakland, and was one of those little kids that rode their bike out to Oakland Airport. Uh, to had a pal, and we went out there to watch the airplanes coming and going. And still kind of have those vivid memories of the smell. Yeah. The uh, That high-octane gasoline and the flames belching out of these big, round-motored airliners yeah. and so on. I remember and, what 80 used to smell like. Well... And that's a good smell. Okay. Like and, an and, onion-ish. And uh, that, that was when airports weren't walled off right. from... Young people or anybody. Um, boy, this sounds old. <laughs> no, I, I, no, it isn't. Are you specializing? Car, I, in... I mean, literally, Carlsbad Airport just within the last year, because of the new airline that was coming in, that's already failed, by the way. Um, they it was still full access. You could walk onto the airport. I mean, you couldn't walk out to the to the runway, um, but you physically could. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's there. There are still some airports in, around that. Uh, that that's the case, but Oakland International is not going to be one of those. No, I was the Northfield was the only part of the airport that was there. I don't know if you're specializing in interviewing geezers for these podcasts because a lot of we're, we're across the spectrum. Okay. Pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty dated, but there was in a big a big gap. So it was it was fascinating, and I think all young people would be fascinated with shipyards, airports. But yeah. it, it just just is. There was then a pretty big gap. There was nobody in my family who was involved in aviation. Or flying. So it was the proximity um, of the airport that kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, a little bit for well, a while. We used to go out there fishing uh, on the edge of the bay and yeah. watch the planes come and go. Um, that's back when there were still stripers in, in the... In the bay. <laughs> in the that's bay. fact. <laughs> They're not there anymore. A lot of dating. So yeah. the, uh, there, were, there was not a pretty big gap. Life, uh, life continues. And uh, in college, it was... Uh, pretty traditional to go back to the fraternity house for lunch in the right. middle of the day. And sometimes uh, there'd be a, a guest. One of the fraternity guys would have a a friend, a guest, a, right. an uncle, or whoever. And you a, could tell... And, and you're not going to say it, but I will. That was Stanford, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Yeah. I went west to go to school. Nice. Yeah. So th <laughs> there, there, there was an old guy there, you could tell, because here's all these, you know, 19 and 20-year-old kids. Um, and this guy was... 35 or 40 and 
And finally, you know, lunch is almost wrapping up, and he stands up and clinks a glass and says, well, we want to introduce yourself to. We have a guest here today. We'll say a few words for you guys. He was an old member of the fraternity, uh, had been when he was in college. Right. And his, uh, his take on it was, well, you know, fellas, I, I don't really have any great advice for you guys. Uh, you guys are all smarter than I am anyway. And, but I wish somebody had told me about this, this job when I was in college. Uh, turned out he was a captain for United. Uh -huh. And he talked a little bit about it. He said, it's, it's a great job. I really like it. And it was almost like the light went on for me yeah. at that point. It was, wow, here I'm studying engineering and... Yeah. Economics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were all Keynesians back in the day, so uh, yeah. I didn't really fit in too well to the econ department. Right. And uh, it, it was a, it was then became a question. Gee, it's okay to do that, to go to college and become a pilot? Right. Little did I know it was a prerequisite yeah. you know, at that stage. <laughs> yeah. But... You know, we Still kind of is, yeah, Ken. Yeah, <laughs> on that path. Yeah. Delta's probably not going to return your phone yeah. call. Yeah, yeah. I've been involved in sports uh, and had my third concussion, so I got retired. All right. Spent my last year getting all of my ratings and began the quest for a job. Um, so you're, you, you came out the gate, you wanted to be a professional pilot. That was that, it. That, that's it. Yep. Yeah, the switch was thrown. Right. Um, and I, I, I could be – my kids criticized me of being obsessive about things – uh, that sounds like a Type A pilot. Yeah, you probably see a lot of them here. <laughs> there's some ninety-nine point nine percent of the pilots who walk through that door have a certain personality. And uh, <clears throat> worked all the angles, got a great job, uh, progressed rapidly. Do you uh, mind saying who with? Uh, Ron Guerra, Kaiser Air. Okay. What is now Kaiser Air? Yeah. It was then huge company. Kaiser Aluminum. Right. Kaiser Steel. Okay. And went from King Air, Falcon 20, Gulfstream 2, those were the key at the time, uh, House of Fire for two and a half years, and the Kaiser companies folded, disassembled, <laughs> sold off the flight department. Right. I looked around. And that was a phase in the industry where there were about 5,000 airline pilots out of work. Right. The flight department job, this dream job of seeing the world on an expense account was gone. Now, am I mistaken, but Kaiser Air, actually, they had some serious metal at one point in time, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the fleet, uh, a pair of G2s, which were, you know, the fleet leaders at the time, Jetstar, right. Hawker, like, like the one that blew up on you. Right. The Flying Speed Break, we call it. Yes. <laughs> the Jetstar. Sorry. Good Lord. Uh, Good Lord. Yes. That's, uh, that's the airplane you pull back two motors and then climb out, right? So you don't want to see 250. <laughs> that thing was nuts. That's the, I sat in a jump seat one time. Or just the, one of the aft seats in the back of the Jetstar on a takeoff out of Palomar. And those guys, literally, they reached up and pulled back two of the motors. What are yeah, you guys doing? Oh, we got to slow down. Had, had to do that on descent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I looked around and, and thought, well, I think it's time, Ken, to learn a skill that's in demand. Now, I'd, I'd lived in an apartment building that was popular with flight crews. And so, you know, what do you do when you're sitting around the pool? You talk about your landlord because yeah, yeah. you're all experts. So I thought, well, shoot, I'm, I'm an expert on that. So I became a property manager. So you actually did it right. You made money and then came back to aviation. I, I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a relapse uh, probably 10 years later, mostly flying family trips and right. rental airplanes and so on. Missed it badly for a couple of years, but I thought, you know, I've got to kind of dig in here. Yeah. And it was pretty bleak. Now, the irony was that uh, when I was getting my ratings and so on, the <laughs> My mom had clipped an article out of the Oakland Tribune. You've probably seen the article. Pilot shortage ahead. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think there was one last week in the local paper here. I'm just pleased yeah. that I lived long enough to see it happen. Yeah. yeah. They've been talking about it for years, but it's yeah. officially there now. Yeah, it it's only, officially it there. It only took 50 years. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing it. We, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but we're seeing it um, for the first time uh, with open eyes that the – serious lack of feed into the you know corporate world airline world is just drying up i mean there's a there's going to be a big pause i think between that and and, and this one's for real the, the other ones where i think talked about and anticipated but when you look at the retirements at american united delta um it, which is just you know available to the public to be able to see that and what we see from a corporate standpoint of folks coming up through the ranks there's going to be a problem 
there's going to be a problem. And I think it gets back to that original story. Um, kids today can't ride their bikes out to the airport and see or experience airplanes. Yeah. Or even kind And of it's develop. expensive, too. You know, it, it, it's really a, expensive there's to learn a lot of, There's a lot of physical bar- and financial barriers to entry. Right. Uh, and it, it's hard to tell somebody in a podcast or in a, any kind of conversation that flying, really, it has it all. Oh, It yeah. has wonder. It has beauty. <laughs> it has challenge. It has uh, engineering, mechanical. When it, you stepped away from it, did you did you really feel that you were missing something while you were, you know, trying to make a living outside of the aviation world? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And which I, I essentially, which I assume then essentially brought you back around to, to not let it go. There was a relapse. Yeah. yeah. And it was, as a lot of things are, uh, coincidental, uh, the airlines started an uptick again. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, the standards were very high and the experience requirements are higher than I had at that right. point. And, and uh, a citation situation came came available. So once you do this, Ken, we need some gray air. Still here. in the local Bay Quali- Area? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, get qualified in this and, and fly some charter. And the same with some Learjet charter work. And that uh, that stoked the fire. That dragged you back in. <laughs> and uh, I, I have heard aviation careers described, I think, very well, as at least for the past 50 years, as inherently uneven. Yes. And unfair. Yes. A lot of it has to do with the right place at the right time, who you know, not oh, what you know, et cetera. And there's a lot of luck involved, you yeah. know, just from a seniority standpoint at the airlines. I mean, you know, I had we, our chief pilots stood in front of 40 guys and said, you guys all hit the lottery. This is brilliant. You know, you guys are going to have the best careers of your life. And, you know, several years later, we were all furloughed, everybody in that room. So, you know, he, well, and he couldn't was, have seen that. There was an event that you couldn't see. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it excel- I think in – you know, correct me if I'm wrong on on this opinion, and this is what it is as an opinion. I think September 11th, all it did was expedite what was going to happen, anyways. So it took you know what was going to take four years to, to to occur, occurred in a week. I agree with that acceleration. It, it was a jolt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it was sort of happenstance. But the real estate is the same way. A real estate development career in property management is inherently uneven. Yes. Uh, you look like an idiot for 10 or 15 years, and then a project <laughs> that you worked on, you look like a genius. Uh, and it's, it's hard to measure your progress right. by the day, week, month, year sometimes. Right. So here's these parallel careers in aviation and real estate. Um, until a, a friend and, and this, this but, the, but the difference <laughs> is, Ken, is there's very rarely any money in aviation. Well, Occasionally, a, you can make some money in real estate. You can spend a lot of money in aviation. <laughs> that's yeah. true. <laughs> so there is a lot of money there. It's just, oh, that's a good point. What, what yeah. is the direction of the cash flow? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a, and then it was happenstance. Since I was sort of current again, and the airlines were on an uptick, they're losing all the young guys who were better qualified. So I did that a little bit. Right. And that led to another friend, and I'm still kind of going to the office any day I wasn't out flying. Right. And another friend says, well, look, I'm... So you were literally doing both. Yeah. 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 Um, look, I'm trying to get a jet star <laughs> on the American Airlines charter certificate. Right. Uh, when it was uh, Business Jet Solutions. Well, sure. I've seen a jet star before. Let's let's do this. Um, flew one around the world on that certificate. Really? Um, That's really Kind of developed a fondness for the air. We, we Those were the old GE motors? No, the, these were 731. Oh, they um, were? Uh, it was re-engined, the Jetstar 2. Oh, I didn't know that. And it had it had range. Okay. Um, we used to joke because you still had those big pods hanging out. If you could, <laughs> yes, if you could get a Jetstar started, you could get it anywhere. Nice. But it, it was a, a weird sequence of start this one in sequence and that one in parallel. <laughs> it had it was a Kelly Johnson airplane, so it had probably two thousand pounds of relays on it. Right. Right. Holy uh, smokes! Or they called them solenoids, but you know, they, um, and the. Uh, there was a switch or, or gadget for everybody. It was built for the Air Force, and they they always flew it with three crew. So the flight engineer had a lot to do in the overhead panel. However, it had one of the more gifted fuel panels that was actually schematic on the panel. Oh, nice. Very which, nice. Which made me think of the time. Just, yeah. yeah, we had that on the 7, too, so you could actually flow with it. these other airplanes like that? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to well, that sounds very Boeing-like, wouldn't you agree? Yes. 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 Um, 
Then an, another friend comes along, and then the Jetstar thing was still going. He said, look, I'm starting up a flight department in Silicon Valley. I need a hand with it. And that was when we finished our last project. Real estate was in the dumps. Right. <laughs> Construction had just completed. We're trying to rent up these apartments. I said, sure, <laughs> this would be a good time to have supplemental income. Uh, and that was... Uh, that company was National Semiconductor, as it turned out. Okay. Um, it was a good flight department. Flew worldwide for about four years. And that was a good time in Silicon Valley as well, right? It was kind of on the ramp up. Yeah. Um, and then a, a CEO change caused the flight department to close. This is a That's familiar story yes. in co corporate aviation. <laughs> That's the first one to go. Well, when, when they're my, looking at the balance sheet, that's the one they shoot. When or the day before said, jeez, uh, you got – how many type ratings you have here? And I said, yeah, it's obvious. That 13, it's, if I recall correctly, a, right? Is yeah, that what you it's, have? It's yeah. Are you collecking them? It, it's, a checkered, <laughs> it's a checkered career. Ah, that's, a, that's either an indication of too much disposable income or a, a large turnover rate in, in I, corporate aviation. I, it's 13 I, types. I think, it, I think it verifies the latter, yes. which you know, you've had this experience too. Yes. As have, I've seen them come and go. I've seen out. the Internal Revenue Service decide they want one back. There you go. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> hey, Ted, where's the airplane? Yeah, they came and took it this morning. So when that one uh, kind of came along, I, I, I was thinking, well, what really matters to me now isn't the next airplane. It's I, I really like these people. So I took I took care of the, the former CEO who, who was rewarded for... <laughs> oh, he was able to take an airplane with him? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He had a citation. Okay. Took care of that, his personal airplane, for, for quite a while. And this was one of the CEO types who uh, was basically an engineer. This guy was a researcher at Bell Labs, held patents. In fact, the charge-coupled device that's in every video camera, that was his patent. Oh, wow. Uh, but he had the people skills enough to be a CEO, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, I, I can yeah, understand Yeah, so he, that. he had the blend. Um, and so he was doing angel investing and miscellaneous things, and, and he – called me one day and said, look, I've got a friend who I knew from Bell Labs, and he's another CEO type. He was a CEO of a company up in Utah, was thinking about taking a, a job down in Silicon Valley in a startup. And uh, he said, Ken, <coughs> this guy's flying around this rattly old twin Cessna. He, he doesn't, you know, take him out in the citation. Expose him to that world, to the Part 25 brilliant. world, to the highly structured <coughs> Excuse me. The safety, safety. Safety. Is there a cough yeah. button here? Yeah, no, no. Don't worry about it. Okay. The Colin can fix that. Uh, no. Ah, we just leave him in. <laughs> <laughs> it, expose him to, you know, this structured way to operate. Right. Um, so I took this fellow out and took him out in the citation a little bit, flew him around, got him far enough along to send him down to flight safety at Long Beach. That was before Loft existed. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, got him qualified. The guy ended up taking this job uh, at, uh, let's see, how do I, I have to be a little bit careful on my non-disclosure. I understand completely. Yeah. yeah. But it's public, it's public information. So that, that fellow that I checked out in the citation was Eric Schmidt, and the job that he was thinking about taking was the CEO of Google. Okay. So from that relationship grew up, well, geez, Ken, I, you know, we need some help with aviation. You're our guy. So that led to a 15-year run as a, kind of a tiger by the tail um, across the, the entire spectrum. Right. And I, uh, I what, what, what does Google have now, 94 well, globals? Google, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that one I won't answer. All right, very good, yes. Um, I, I do know for a fact, because we, we, I, I had talked about this with somebody else too, that they, were, they had a great deal where they were buying gas at Moffitt. And they were getting a great deal on gas. And I thought that was just brilliant. Just brilliant that they, they, they were smart enough to negotiate you know, uh, fuel hedging at a corporate level. I, I, I'm, I don't know whether you had anything to do with that or not. Colin, this is where the dead air will come in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there, but that's just brilliant. There, there were – yeah, we, we got caught up in, in anything that's a front-page story in the Wall Street Journal. Obviously, that's public information. So yeah, well, that's where I got it, so who yeah, the hell knows how yeah. true it is. Um, <clears throat> well, well, we'll have a sidebar on that, but I'll just say Very good. On. We'll just leave the mic on. You won't know about it. And then you can, <laughs> then you can just plausible deniability. They told me the mic was off. <clears throat> Yeah, well, <laughs> and the uh, it, it was a it, it was a great adventure, and I'm pretty proud of what exists there today. Top 
top people, excellent crews, excellent equipment. Yeah, it's very much like Qualcomm too. Is is that in the inception, you know, we had a small charter company here in San Diego, and we approached Qualcomm prior to them having any type of a flight department before, and essentially explained to them the value of that. You know, which I'm has been done many many times. You've written a lot of our articles as it relates to some of that in Aviation Week. Um, the to open those corporate folks' eyes to what they can accomplish with that type of equipment um, it just sets the tone. And and their flight department now, I want to say they have uh, three or four globals, and, and they're flying all the time, internationally, all the time. The, uh, the confluence of these parallel careers happened toward the end of my run. Um, <laughs> let's see, last month, <laughs> pretty recently, <laughs> was um, a a really large hangar development at San Jose International. Right. Um, which, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. You Being exposed to these really uh, high-speed processor people, I don't know how else to describe it. I think that's, the, a, that's the, a great assessment. The brain power. Yeah. Uh, it, they don't sleep much. Their processors work differently. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the dots. Yeah. And the things, and I think part of that is is that if you... If you had been involved in creating something that's sufficiently indistinguishable from magic, it's not it's not a glib statement when one of them says, uh, you know, don't take the impossible too seriously. Right. And it sounds so flippant. No, I but I think uh, it's completely accurate. Yes. And I <laughs> Because that's the world we live in now. I mean, think about yeah. it. I mean, it just the the advances, the, the, the internet. I mean, you and I both remember a time when the internet w- didn't exist. You know, Search. phones in our hand, really? Search it has changed everything. Right. I feel like a cyborg now. I could look anything up any second. Any. I mean, I literally, my lies have gone down significantly because now I can look on my phone and see the truth <laughs> as opposed to making some shit up. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> he did it again, Colin. But But also, too, I mean, I used to be able to make some shit up, and then you couldn't check me on it. Now you can go, yeah, I don't think that's true because yeah. my phone says otherwise. Yeah, how convincing are you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but but I, I was having one argument, and creative minds like that, um, also, um, take shortcuts, and usually, like it'll come, imagination unbounded by the practicality. Button down the Type A pilots you described. Right. Who the Type A pilots that I described just didn't understand what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like four huge words that none of us understand. I'm gonna have to play that back three times and look up all three of those words. Well, uh, <laughs> gear up. I got that one. We don't have the imagination because we're bounded by so much structure. Uh, imagination unbounded by practicality or, or by you know familiarity or other experiences. Um, it, it, it's sort of the difference between an engineer and an architect. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, I think I have a good example of that, too. In my new hire class for the airlines, the chief pilot was standing in front of all of us, giving us a speech, the rah-rah speech, and he said, let me explain to you the process of you guys being interviewed and hired. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum it up in just one statement. Out of the 40 of you that are sitting in here this morning, you had to be here at the training center at 8 o'clock this morning. How many of you set two alarms? And every hand in the room went up. He goes, I rest my case. That's why you're here. Is because we were able to make that determination in your personality as to who you are, and that's what we want. So thank you for all of you being here at exactly 7.45, like you all were, and all of you setting two alarms. I think that's a perfect example sounds of the mentality. Little, sounds a little like the military. Uh, on, it, well, on, it was on, a very military airline. On time, or, or Bill <laughs> Belichick, on time is 10 minutes early. Yes, yes. I, but I agree with that. Do you? Sure I do. Yes. What yes. time was I here this 7.45. <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in a conversation with one of them, uh, Usually my first order business job is to talk them out of some wacky idea. Sure. That's way out there that none of us in this room or certainly any of the pilots. And, and just to catch there. everybody up, too, I mean, you're, you're currently, um, your, your current status is, is that you still do the same type of advisory. I do. And you have your own website, KenAmbroseCorporation.com, that, that you can go out and help anybody acquire, uh, essentially take care of all of the issues of aircraft ownership, uh, usage, whatever the case may be, right? I wouldn't call it a management company. That's no. not necessarily what you do. You take no, it to that a, third level. It's a consultancy. 
Um, but it's not even that though, because from what I can see and from what I know about you too, it's it, there's there's multiple layers to that. It's not just essentially, hey, you should buy that airplane, and here's why. You you delve more into the the mission, what it is that's good for the individual. I mean, unless I'm mistaken, that's that's kind of where uh, I see I, that going. I like to think you match the tools to the task. And what I told these guys back in the beginning uh, was, look, um, I've actually had a. a, a secondary career that became a primary career. Um, I don't have to have this job. Right. But here's my approach to it. Um, I'm going to treat every decision I make for you like my own money and my own safety is at risk. Right. And let, let's it, see erasing how, the conflict let's, of interest. Let's see, let's, <laughs> let's see how this works out. Yeah. Yeah, because th there's a lot of good professionals available to do training, crewing, maintenance, completions, and right. so on. But most have a conflict of interest uh, with maybe what that owner's goals are. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but back to the imagination part, I wanted to finish it. That one, one was, exp as I was explaining. Well, that's why I cut you off. I didn't want you to. Well, I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> because, because <laughs> I, I think it's a lot. See, that's beautiful. I love it. Uh, Go ahead. I'll step on you. <laughs> I deserve to be. <laughs> I finally said, you know, the way... The way I see it, and, and it's ironic, and, and I was really sound geezerly in this. I said, it seems that the older I get, the uh, the more risk averse I become. And, well, that's true for anybody. And just like that, the response was, well, shouldn't it be just the opposite? Okay, now you just reeled back in your chair. Yeah, because that's an absurd statement. And you may, that's an absurd statement. And, and I'll give you a perfect example. You're doing the Alpha Jet. We're doing upset recovery. For several years, if I recall correctly, seven. Yeah. You and I talked about it at great length. I'm doing the upset recovery in the L39. I love it. Still scares me. Scares yeah. me every single time I take off. Now I'm more and more concerned about this airplane taking my life. I wouldn't. Twenty years ago, it wouldn't even have crossed my mind. But this day and age, it's so that's why I reeled back. Okay, that's an absurd statement. S stay, stay back on your heels, but think it through. That my first reaction was, well, that's an obnoxious viewpoint, and then I got to thinking about it. Um, if, if you're young and the world is in the windshield, not in the rearview mirror, that's when you should be the most risk-averse, not when most of the world in your life is in the rearview mirror. I like that philosophy, except let me add to that, in that within that philosophy, the problem becomes is we, is we have to get it down to the human brain then. And the way that the human brain processes information is intelligence, experiences. Uh, ideology. With all of those elements combined as we get older, we get refined in the ability to have those things. So that refinement of intelligence and experiences within life tell us that the stove's hot. When I'm young, I touch the stove. I could be told that stove is hot. Don't touch it. I'm going to go touch it. That's an experience that I have to have. Once I touch the stove, I know that it's extremely painful. I know that I get hurt. I'm getting older. My bones break. My bones hurt. So those experiences, I think, cause that what you just said philosophically is correct. But from an ideology standpoint, it's very difficult for that to become the case because we know the stove is hot. But look what happens in the laboratory. Young people take the risks. Older people don't. And part of that is physical. Um, I don't think – are you competing in the Arc Games this year? The yeah. what? X Games no. this year. No. no. I, in fact, yeah. I haven't but. even sent in my application. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, double black diamonds scare the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, I still have that affliction. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I'll go up there, but I have been known to ride right back down on the gondola before. That's not true. I've never done that. just makes a point, I guess. It's the only yeah. way the joke works. Well, on risk management, uh, much is made of that now. Uh, well, can I can I circle back on that? Because I don't, I don't want to let that one just hang. Um, do you believe that to be true then? Do you believe that we should be taking more risks as older aviators now? Do you think that we, because of what I just said and you just said, that we should be taking more risks? Do you agree with that or do you not? I met Steve Jobs once and in this conversation. Uh, he was talking with Eric Schmidt. And uh, one of his points was, our time here is limited. Well, yeah, especially if you don't treat your cancer. <laughs> our, our time here is limited. Yeah. So, does that mean we should be taking more? You risks? still haven't answered the question, Ken. Do you believe in that? That's dead air. Colin, have him <laughs> Call him. Call him. 
Have him restate the question. <laughs> Do you believe that we, as older men in aviation, should be taking more risks now than before? No. Be- so there are. I, I, I agree with you. But I that is because I'm not comfortable with it. For all the reasons I think I mentioned. Yeah, descriptive. You know the pain that comes with it. Well, uh, I know what happens if I try to shoot the approach and it's zero zero. I said, ah, shit, I'll take a shot anyways. That's stupid. That's just dumb because I have now exposed myself is, is to take my talent and assume that I have no problems and that this will not be an issue. Uh, now, if it's zero zero, I don't even try. I just go someplace else. I don't go. So that's that to me. And maybe I'm wrong here as opposed to shooting the approach zero zero and oh, it was actually the weather was slightly better than they they let on to be. And I made it in. Look at me. No, I just go someplace else. That to me is age, and that to me is experience to know that's just a foolish Well, and you're leaving process. out the part that it's also confidence. Um, well, no, I think I'm more confident now, Ken, because I have more of a skill set. I've been flying airplanes forever. You're confident in saying no, and that's one of the questions oh, I ask everybody point. who— Ooh, that's a good point. It's almost a case for making a management company be involved in your flight operation because— I hear these high-powered guys saying, you know, here's how we like to do business. And here's some pilots that I hired, and they were top, you know, military guys. And, and I said, look, look, here, here's the only thing that matters. <laughs> Are they able to say no to you? Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. That's, you know, I don't have many regrets, Ken, but that is one of the big areas of regret that I had in a younger man career. As a charter pilot, as a young charter pilot, I never said no. And, and the old joke is, why, why even check the weather? We're going. That's a, that is a ridiculous statement. But in, in, in fact, incredibly true. You just, you just go. You, you are going to accomplish the mission. And I think that that is a scary part of aviation that, you know, if you were able to, and I'm not sure that we can, but we can certainly point fingers at accidents and say, well, there it is right there. You know, they call it the get-home-itis, but that's not really what it is. It's that confidence level and that young mind that says, I can absolutely do this. I will accomplish this task because you've asked me to do so. Right. Go to the freezer and get the box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, much is made now, and we're trying to formalize uh, risk management, risk assessment, safety management systems. Yes. Uh, I had to build one of those for the Part 125 certificate, and and you need one now. Uh, yes. You can't fly in ESA countries without it. You, right. Um, and there's some value there. I've well, seen there's, it. Well, there's definite value, but trying to sell that to a group of experienced aviators for the first time, uh, you, you can't, it's really, it's a tough nut to crack. Oh, sure. Because what you're trying to do is institutionalize common sense. <laughs> That's a great way of saying it. <laughs> Am I lying? No, absolutely not. That's perfect. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when you start through these steps and you have to do a risk assessment for every flight and there's checking these boxes and so on, there's a lot of grumbling. There's yeah. a lot of resistance. But it's becoming and has become over, say, the last five to eight years, mainstream. This is just part of the deal. Yeah. Um, well, I think, again, it's an awareness as to what, what, are the, what are the factors that go into an aircraft accident. If yeah. you break those down to its very essential elements, we have you know, loss of control, as you and I have experienced in doing upset recovery in jets, uh, you know, essentially for a living. We know that loss of control has and always will be. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest loss of airplanes. Yeah, you have to laugh when it's now a new FAA emphasis item. Yeah. Really, what's new about this? <laughs> for 40 years. Boeing's <laughs> known about it for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Notwithstanding Tex Johnson's demo. Well, yeah, there is that. But I didn't have the skill set that Tex did. <laughs> <laughs> you do now. Uh, well, I guess that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I and guess you're, that's true. And you're, uh, you're further away from the edge because of that. So, so getting back to that philosophy to apply what you said, in Tex, in his mind, he was going to roll that airplane. He'd thought about it, decided to do it. Was there a risk there? Without question. Did he ignore the risk to accomplish that task and go down as, you know, as a legend? I mean, there's obviously somebody took a picture in the back that, that's out the side window of this thing upside down. That's absolutely amazing. Where do you draw that line then? You know, would you and I have done that? I don't, I think at his point in time, yeah, I probably would have. You know, was that smart? No. 
Did he figure uh, he was closer to the end of the line than the beginning? So uh, interesting point. Yeah, yeah and so. and did he and he absolutely was absolutely positive he could pull that off. M- maybe, I don't know. So our risk aversion though grows with time, until you hit that point you just described. Yeah. And are there? So these... you think that's what what was his his motivation? I, I mean, so. we can only speculate, obviously. I, I would speculate that he was uh, of a mind that well. I might get fired, but I can do this safely. He went ahead and did it. Yeah. He might. He might have thought. So, what well, is it that we respect about that, though? Because I do. I respect the hell out of that. But I just. I don't know if I'd have the stomach to do it. Well, you've probably told a lot of students here who are upgrading, who are coming, you know, along the way to this and other airplanes that you've instructed and examined in, trying to tell the student, or as a victim, as we called one of the sim guy partners yep. this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just another airplane. Yeah. They all obey the same laws of physics. Yeah. Well, that's not true. The West Wind doesn't. West Wind, <laughs> West Wind rolls like shit. <laughs> well, uh, West Wind stops upside down. That's the, that's the flying. <laughs> so I've heard. That was the flying speed brake. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good Lord, that thing. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah, that was one of the 13. No. Was it really? Oh, did you fly one for a while? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I loved the cabin, and it's evil, but the airplane was it, just a beast. And just it's, a beast. It, it's evil twin, I, I, about 1,000 hours, a little more than that, in the Astra. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, they got it right in the Astra, didn't they? Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you, could, you could stop right there if you it, want. There's, there, yes, uh, but yeah, I guess I came away uh, thinking it's somewhere in there. It's evil. But that's that's really oh, you're, you're going to have to expand on that. Well, that's just an opinion. That's all right. I'll take um, the opinion. That's what this is all about. This well, is an opinion podcast. If you ask, if you ask <laughs> pilots, maybe you've done this and I've missed the particular broadcast or podcast. But what's your favorite airplane that you've ever flown? Right. Usually, the answer is the one they're currently flying. But like, unless they ever flew the F well, one hundred five. <laughs> and they always say the F-105. Yeah, I never do. Um, the, uh, not that one. I had to fly a lot of other interesting yeah. airplanes. But um, the, the answer, other than it's the most current one, I think it's the one that the pilot um, feels the best with. Now, you've flown a lot of different airplanes, right. too. And I actually have two. I, I could not narrow it down to one. Well, and for two totally different reasons. Here's my assessment of that. I think, like most pilots, I've got a pretty fragile ego. You know, we we put a lot of uh, – we can make peace with certain airplanes. And if you've flown a lot of different right. ones and you're typed in a lot of different ones, you can make peace with it. I like that statement. Okay. Yes, that's a great statement. But there's others that you really love, that yes. you really become part of. Um, what was it for you? For me, it was a couple of them, and it wasn't. See, there you go. And it wasn't some of the obvious ones, you know. The, the Gulfstreams. I was a competent Gulfstream pilot. Um, That's utilitarian. Didn't get in trouble, right? Either. But I just loved the Falcon Fifty. Yeah, I've heard that before. Um, That's a I, great airplane. And I could. It's a great airplane, and maybe because it is, uh, it it causes you to have those feelings about it. That. You're, you're just really comfortable. From an aerodynamic standpoint, three engines, what was it that just that had your full undivided attention? I still think it was the sexiest looking airplane. That's a fact. That's well, a other fact. than the fighters. Yeah. But as far as a, a transport category airplane, yep. <coughs> just a beautiful thing. Yep. And it, its energy management characteristics were just elegant. Yeah. It was just, it was just elegant. And I could really fly it well. I was really proud of the way I could fly it. It felt good. And because of that comfort level, it just strokes that delicate ego. Interesting. <laughs> you stand yeah. up a little bit taller. Like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> I like it. <clears throat> yeah, I like it. Yeah, for me, it was Lear 24 out of pure performance. I've just never seen anything as, as a civilian and never having flown any at fighter jets at that point. Um, I, I could not believe in the performance of that aircraft. But it scared the shit out of me. It literally scared the shit out of me. You turn the yaw damp off at 45,000 feet, and I, you're in you're in deep shit in seconds. I was seconds. about to ask, were you ever really comfortable with no, it? No, yeah, never. Yeah, but yeah, but it, was a f- it was a hoot to fly that thing. Sure. You know, we had to, one trip coming back from Palm Springs to just over here to Palomar. Min gas, taking off VFR, just popping over the hill. And, I mean, 18,000 feet in a minute. You know, I mean, that's just, that's un- unacceptable for a corporate jet. But I was never, I was always on the edge of my seat in that airplane. Conversely, my second favorite is the Hawker because it was such a beautiful – it was a Cadillac. It was – what a great – I would hate to have owned one, but to fly it, 
You know, it just did whatever you asked it to. The 800, the 600 Viper that I flew had my full undivided attention, just like <laughs> did for a multitude of reasons. But the, you know, the 800, the XP was just, it was just a, it was just a beautiful, elegant, just as you said, airplane. Uh, it went through the air like it was supposed to. It didn't beat the air into submission. And so, uh, you know, same thing for me. Multiple air, I could not nail it down to one specifically. And then the Super 80, I wanted to just eat a shotgun. I mean, who the hell designed that thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you, you, you but could, there's people out there that love that. There's a guy on YouTube that just adores that thing. But you could cut back on your gym memberships flying one of those. Yeah, that's true. Were, you know, yeah, cables and or revisionary mode in the seven two seven. Yeah, the uh, yeah exactly manual reversion, uh, power steering. I think as far as favorites, um, the, the story or or least favorites, the ones that. Because they become the most memorable, don't they? Back in the back in the early <laughs> like days, the West Wind. back in the early days uh, at Oakland Airport, there was a uh, a place we called the Yacht Club, and it was on the Oakland Estuary. Yeah, uh, it was a hamburger shack, and the pilots were over there having having lunch one day, and we see a strange guy about a hundred yards uh, down the estuary. There's a little stub of a pier there, and he drives a car out onto this stub of a pier. It's this old beater, and he. This is going to be good. He gets he gets out. <laughs> Um, and assesses, you know, walks out to the end of the pier, looks around, <clears throat> gets, gets back in the car, <clears throat> fires it up, and drives it off into the estuary. Perfect. Splash. Perfect. And it's mostly That's mud. his wife's car, by the way. <laughs> it's mostly mud. Yeah. Uh, it's up to about the window. So he climbs out, stands on the roof, takes off all You guys it. are watching this? We're watching this. We're, we're having lunch, watching this <laughs> spectacle. That's awesome. Takes off his clothes, leaves them on the car, and walks away down the road. Now, the conversation of these pilots sitting around the table uh, varied from one was outraged that, okay, now the taxpayers are going to have to oh, pay boy, to fish this thing out. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's missing the point. Well, they, <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was in the category of uh, you know how copper wire was invented, and it was two airline pilots fighting over a penny. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. It came around the table, and finally it got to a guy who had a sense of humor. Not all pilots do. Some are kind of no-laughs no. guys. And he looked at everybody and says, you know, I had a car like that once, and I would have done that too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Right. That's so perfect. Which, so so which, we've had airplanes. We do, like, yeah. yeah, the West one I would have happily driven that off up here. Yeah. So which, well, which one's your favorite? Well, it, it depends. Well, I agree like, with you. Like, like most answers. I totally agree with you. Hey, I want to touch on that uh, that Alpha Jet. I didn't get a chance to fly it with you. I'm, I'm bummed about that. Um, I don't know much about it. Um, from a upset recovery standpoint on the L39, I love the platform because it's uh, it, it flies like a Citation. It's underpowered and too heavy, and um, so it has a lot of characteristics that you would find yourself in in a corporate jet, which I like. I think that doing upset recovery in props is valuable, but I think it's not as valuable as doing it in jets. Uh, for the, all the reasons you and I have talked about, when you were doing the upset recovery, um, can you just maybe touch on some of the advantages that you saw when your clients punched out and left left you? The the difference in the aviator prior and after, what would you say was the the, the biggest gain for them in the upset recovery? Because I, I constantly try to sell this to as many people as I can, how valuable it is. A uh, little background: we we got this German strike fighter. Uh, is part of a collaborative relationship with NASA, which still exists, um, to do the science flying. So it was it was outfitted for the science mission, and did double duty. Okay. Uh, as uh, pods and such hanging yes, off of it. Yeah, the Alpha Jet. Uh, for people not familiar with it, it's a, it's a light strike fighter in two versions. Uh, believe it or not, it's a French German joint venture. I did not know that. Dassault and Dornier got together and wow. built this thing. You didn't think the French and the Germans got along at all, right? Well, they built two different versions. Okay. Uh, the French version, uh, they wanted a trainer, and the Germans wanted a light attack. So while a lot of the systems and airframe are similar, actually some airframe components are different on the French version. The French version is the one that's used for their equivalent of the Blue Angels. Okay. The, uh, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Tricolor. What, what are they called? Uh, yeah, I, I can picture the tails. Yeah. I can picture the, the flag yeah. on the tails. Yeah. And camo, Correct. Call anyone look that No, up? they're red, white, and blue. Yep. Are they? The, the oh, I'm completely the wrong. The French demonstration team. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I think uh, that's a picture of it there if you want to pull it up, I think. You're going to yeah. show this picture to your listeners? No, we just How talk do you do about that? it. We don't. <laughs> we Well, I have an incredibly descriptive voice. <laughs> well, I guess. Um, 
<clears throat> so it's uh, it's oh, a, yeah, it's a very something totally different. That's not what I was thinking of. A, as you think, German it, it, it's a very sturdy bird, uh, very strong, um, good power to weight ratio. I like unlike the L thirty nine. Yeah, and uh, it would carry its weight in bombs. So we're you know we're, we're very so that's a good platform from a from a pod hanging off and any, experimental any sensor package that NASA wanted to put on it it could carry and, okay. and it does right. carry on these missions pods off for the upset training and I think the biggest eye opener like the, the uh, pilots who've never been upside down before mm -hmm. it, it has um, here's the Dassault influence it had just this wonderful roll capabilities. It, it's it's control harmony for rolling the airplane was flawless. Okay, and so it built confidence there. So that was the takeaway. Good. First I like of that. all, for somebody who'd never been upside down, I said, "Well, look, just pitch it up here and start it turning. Just keep it, keep the stick over right. there." Right. So that was an immediate confidence builder. Um, the, the 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 biggest takeaway that surprised all of them was the use of rudder in high-angled attack situations right. <laughs> that nobody really had heard about before. Uh, nobody had been in that awkward of a, of a situation. And, and you're dealing with a little more of a swept wing on that airplane, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a Mach 9.5 airplane. Yeah. So, so the, uh, it, the demonstration worked that you do some, uh, it's kind of like coming to loft. You do clean stall. Very, so the clean stall recovery was demonstrated. You recover in the conventional ways. But then the demonstration on rudder use for roll control of all things. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you see citation pilots, they just put their feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, you found this too, I think. Oh, yeah. Helicopter pilots and tail dragger guys have the best feet. Yeah, without yeah. question. Yeah. Without question. So well, it, well, they're at least aware of it. So the demonstration on rudder uh, was uh, you, not at a, excuse me, a, a really high power setting, but you'd. You'd have an adequate power and adequate speed, build up, uh, energize the jet, and then pull it into the vertical. Mm -hmm. Now, in the vertical, even with th this airplane did not have afterburners, so it would not sustain vertical. And it was at a, a controlled enough power setting to avoid compressor stalls and having flames coming out both <coughs> ends. Right. Um, they'd already seen what the airspeed was like on a clean stall, about 150 knots or so. That's pretty eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and the recovery is conventional and all that. So we'd get in the in the vertical, and you would see the airspeed decaying below 200, at which point, and decaying rapidly. Yeah. Right? I said, okay, now what are we going to do here? Because obviously we need to get the nose pointing at the ground. If we make any control input that we're used to making, <laughs> like with elevators. Yes. Oh, I was uh, going to break loose. <laughs> whether we pull or push, because you can make an argument either one, with, uh, yeah. it would depart control sure. flight. Yeah. Right. So, I said, and you would have to physically stop them from doing that, because for me, they try to do it. Yeah, and the L thirty nine is a little more forgiving than the no, Alpha. I, no, you can't do this. That yeah. would be a, a minimum of ten thousand feet of probably and probably a trip to your spiritual advisor if you survived it. <laughs> yeah. That's a big if. Yeah. But then, it's okay. Here, here's what we're going to do. We need to get the nose pointing at the ground. Have you ever considered using the rudder to do that? Because if we, if we make an input to this airframe right now, it will depart control flight. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's, uh, at which point I'm squeezing in a little bit of rudder. Left or right, your choice. And of course, it gently, here comes the nose mm -hmm. falling back down. And all of a sudden the nose is pointing down, you regain control flight. And it's not slow. And as and I said, take a quick look at the airspeed. And this is as the nose is coming back down toward the horizon, and it'll be like seventy-five knots. Yeah, and they still said, have control. Now you, now you know this airplane won't fly at seventy-five yep. knots. Why isn't? It, why aren't we not departing? Why is nothing shaking? Where, where's yeah. there's no stick shaker? But and it's because we're not putting a load on the airplane, and the rudder is the one control you can count on. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant that you and I have both come to the exact same conclusion after having done this for a while, that that's the biggest takeaway, is just when you, when you start talking about load, when you start talking about control surfaces that ordinarily are not used, and the ability to control the airplane, we do almost exactly the same thing in the L-39, which is a vertical, and you can almost get the airspeed to zero, almost, but not quite as the airplane falls away, and you still have, if you're unloaded at a half a G, as opposed to one, 
and you just push forward just a little bit, you have controllability with the ailerons. You can actually waggle the and the the, the alpha will bite you. Well, the alpha nine will not. It's got that straighter wing on it, uh, but you can use the ailerons and show them that at this airspeed, as you well know, I just showed you the airplane falls out of the sky at 120 knots when you pull on the nose, but now we're at 60 and 50 knots, and you have controllability with no rumbling, no, and they, you know the airframe just shakes like a like a broom when you stall it. So I love that, and that to me, I agree with you, is a is a, is a great eye opening experience for the pilot to be able to see that. Yeah, and to the point, I, I think a high performance jet versus a sport plane uh, is quite a bit more significant for business jet pilots or airline pilots. Right. Uh, there, there's no amount of aerobatic training that is bad, of course, but the problem with most of the aerobatic airplanes is that they scrub energy so rapidly that it's it's not as realistic. It's not the experience you're going to have right. in your Falcon or your Gulfstream. Right. Uh, you've got a, you've got heavy metal there in relative terms, and it's simply not going to scrub energy like an extra 300 or right. pits or, or, or one of the sport planes. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I really uh, I'm an that's a better way of saying I, it. Yeah, I'm an advocate of of this level of training. I have. Who was who were your clients? Uh, I don't remember. They're all all the in in house flight department and. Uh, the occasional outside, like Steve Taylor from Boeing, uh, came to fly with us in the Alpha. Wonderful, um, terrific guy. Production flight test at Boeing. He typed in every Boeing airplane. Ah, very Still nice. Still up there. I'm not sure very what nice. Steve's job is currently. Hello, Steve. If you ever listen, to <laughs> one of the really good guys who still flies a Cub. Excellent, excellent. I love Cubs. Those are great. Low and slow. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The um, did you get any insurance breaks for the upset recovery? Because I know I've heard. Some of the insurance companies now are starting to come around and understand the value of that and are actually offering breaks on insurance. We didn't experience that because we had such a mixed fleet of GA and airline and tactical fighter equipment that it was, it's just, it was too unique a package. Right. But I think you're right. If, if a conventional flight department adds, actually what they will get is, is uh, supplemental uh, subsidies for that level of training. Oh, okay. Not necessarily masked up... Uh, matched up with the master pilot ratings or the other certificates they hand out, but um, they'll get a credit in either the amount of or a big chunk of the, the fees to attend the school, like Sean Tucker's or, or right. one of the the other uh, Warbird-based ones. Right. Yeah, I saw he, he fired up a school there for a while. I don't know if it's still in operation. Yes. Yeah, and it's the, really, and it's good in yeah. uh, Watsonville. That's brilliant. I, I think I think the way the industry is going towards that and the understanding of it is uh, is going to have an effect on loss of control. I mean, we had, it wasn't recently, but I want to say within the last five years, we had a, a, a CJ that got itself into a little bit of a pickle. And um, the guy had gone through uh, L39 upset recovery. And he claims that part of one of the reasons he was able to get out of that unscathed, the airplane took a quite a beating, bent the spar and such, um, but he got out of it. And um, he attributed, day. yeah, he attributed that to his his upset recovery training, and I have to believe that to be true because at high altitude like that, stalling an airplane multiple times in a high altitude regime, you know, you you overcorrect for just a second, and it's you know yeah. you're going to have one hell of a trip on the way down. That's a fact. So yeah, good news. Well, Ken, I can't thank you enough for coming out and chatting with us. I can't wait to do this again. Well, you got wait, I got to wait twelve months, or, or what's your? What? No, I'll come back mid year for a tune up. You know that. Brilliant. Maybe we can <laughs> uh, we can have a chat then. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate you doing this. It was kind of fun. I was. Uh, I was were you? Little, you were hesitant. Yeah, I was hesitant, but you managed it. For anybody listening, Noel has a real knack for depressurizing situations, <laughs> and I don't mean that we'll cut, in a we'll, negative sense. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, we'll, we'll cut that part out. <laughs>